the topic of prayer this morning. Before I do that, I uh, just want to uh, give you a couple of uh, housekeeping notes as well. November 12th, that's next Sunday, so seven days from now, um, we are going to have the Brewbreaker Sunday next week, where we celebrate the Brewbreakers. Tanya, or excuse me, Travis and Tasha are right there, and you know, he announced a couple weeks ago that he would be, they're moving to Alabama, and nobody's perfect, but that's okay, and um, sorry, I've got to get this in while I can, so, um, and so next Sunday, we're going to bless them, it won't be his last Sunday, his last Sunday is actually the 19th, that's two weeks away, but we thought next week would be a better, so make sure you come next week, so afterwards we'll have a, a reception for them, and we're just going to love them and send them well off into the kingdom, Amen. Amen. So I want you to be there for that. And then also, uh, a few weeks before that, we had Engage Arlington Sunday, where several churches in the city decided to get together over the weekend of the 15th and celebrate. Was it the 15th? Was that right? I don't even remember now the date, but um, our church participated. Arlington Police Department has asked us to partner with them in uh, loving on and serving the homeless population in Arlington. And so for all of us that, that donated or helped stuff bags, we showed up um, on Monday morning and handed them 74 homeless packs, and they were shocked, right? And so what I mean by that is, is they, were, they were thinking maybe 20, um, but our church contributed 74 to the effort. I know other churches did as well, and so they walked away with, I think, over 200 packs just to hand the homeless when they interact with them. And so I just want to say thank you for your generosity there, whether you donated money or supplies or help pack. And we're going to continue to do that. And here's why we want to do that. One, whenever the city asks for assistance from the faith community, we should always say yes. You know why? Because it's good that the church can respond to the needs of the city that she's in. And so what I love about that is, if you know, the homeless population are often go unseen and unheard. But God loves them as much as he loves anyone else. They are fearfully and wonderfully made. And then also the city, you know, you have lots of different cultures and lots of different perspectives within the city as well. And so I just want to say um, that when the APD asked us to do that, it was good that we did. Because then we get to reinforce that God loves them and sees their work because they have hard jobs. And we'll continue to do that. So I just want to say thank you for that. Um, here's another question. Before I get started, uh, who woke up late? Who woke up and thought they were late this morning? Anybody wake up and think they were late this morning? I know, right? Right? I know. Well, you know, our friends from Ghana who are now here, like, they don't, do y'all do time change in Ghana? They don't. So this is their first time. So they're like, what is going on? My phone says one. Can you imagine? Can you imagine you wake up and your phone says one thing and then your microwave says the other, right? Which mine does all the time because our time on our microwave is wrong and I've reset it like a billion times and it's always there. Anyway, so God bless you. We, we, we love you that who woke up and were concerned this morning. It's okay. It's normal. And then who went to the parade on Friday? Did anybody go on the parade? Was it Friday? It was Friday, wasn't it? Well, there you go. I know. I know. It. Some of us had to work. Some of us didn't. But... I hear it was a good time. So if you're a Ranger fan, which probably most of you are, God bless you and God bless the Rangers. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Whoa. Okay, so here's the deal. If that's the biggest response to my sermon this morning, you guys are horrible. Okay, just saying. You wait a long time for that. I know it. We did. Okay, so this week, like I said, we're going to continue in our series. We 
Uh, well, I can't even remember that. We in a me-centered world, and we're going to look at prayer this morning. Sorry, this thing's really being kind of wonky this morning. And you'll stick it that way. Maybe it'll like me better that way. Probably not. And so I want to look at prayer, specifically what we-centered prayers look like versus me-centered prayers. Let me just say a couple of things. There, are nothing, there is nothing wrong with we-centered prayers. We are supposed to take our requests to the Lord no matter what they are. So while I'm focusing on we-centered prayers, what I don't want you to walk away with is Tyler said that I can never pray for what I need or want. It's not true, okay? It's not true. But we are going to look at we-centered prayer. Before we do that, we're going to look at two things. One, how to pray we-centered prayers, and then two, how to pursue answers for we-centered prayers. So that's the two things, how to pray and how to pursue, right? Because I don't know about you, but a lot of times I just pray the things, and I never take any other steps to pursue those things, but I expect God to give them to me. So we're going to look at two of those things, but before that, just a few things that I think are important about prayer. Some essential components, if we're going to bake a cake this morning to approach prayer in general, is this. One, prayer is communing with God. We commune with God. We relate to Him. We spend time with Him in when we pray. That's one of the ways. We do it by reading the scriptures. We meditate. We listen to worship. We fellowship with one another. We're in a small group. We share the Bible together. But one of the primary ways we do it individually and together is through prayer. We commune with God through prayer. Number two, prayer is the opportunity to have conversations with God. Now, notice I didn't say lecture because prayer, you know, lecture is a one-way conversation. Prayer is actually a two-way conversation. We get to let him know kind of what's on our heart. But through that prayer, he gets to let us know what's on his heart as well. Prayer is a two-way conversation. The Greek word for prayer is, I'm going to butcher this because I didn't practice it, is prosukamai, prosukamai, which means advantageous. So literally the word prayer in the Bible means it is to our advantage that we pray. Now, I don't know about you, but I've got prayers that are unanswered. And a lot of times I don't think it's really advantageous to pray those because he hasn't answered yet. But actually that's the exact opposite of what the word prayer or to pray means in the Bible, it is to our advantage that we pray. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that in the lowest parts of your life? Because it's advantageous to pray. Another one, no matter what we pray for, like I said, literally it's advantageous. And I'll say this, I hear sometimes people say it's stupid to pray for things that, golly, evidently, Tony, you're going to have to get back up here. Um, I hear people say it's kind of dumb to pray for things that are not that important. How many of us have prayed for the Rangers to win a World Series after they've gotten so close? If you believe that it's advantageous to pray, then it's not dumb to pray. There might be things that are priority. There might be people who are far from the Lord that probably needs to take more of our prayer time. Injustice in the world, meeting needs to church being the church to one another and to the outside world. But it is never a disadvantage to ask for the things that God has put on our hearts. Can I say that again? It is never a disadvantage to ask for the things that God has put on our hearts, whether it's a ranger win or something else. And I'm willing to bet if we would change our minds about that prayer or how advantageous prayer is, that I bet we would be more willing to pray for the more important things too. So can I just take that pressure off of us? Pray for whatever it is because it's advantageous. Um, 
You might have no hope in a medical condition, the salvation of someone, or a really tough circumstance. But again, prayer is not wasted, ever. And two, we should approach God in three ways with prayers. One, sincerity. We should bring those prayers with sincerity, meaning that it's what we really think. And so if you don't think those things, guess what? You probably shouldn't pray those things. Two, we should approach God with reverence, meaning, God, you have the power to answer whatever it is that you want to answer, whenever you want to answer it. And then number three, humility. And I think I miss this. I think we miss this sometimes because I get so wrapped up in what it is that we need or what I want that I forget to remind myself that God is God and I am not. Amen? Amen. Which brings us to truth number one. Prayer is an essential part of the Christ life. It is the barometer of our lives. Right? It's the thermostat of our lives. It's not... And, you know, thermostats, so here's what I love about thermostats versus thermometers. A thermometer only tells you what the temperature is. The thermostat actually changes the temperature around you. So our prayer life is the thermostat of our, of our spiritual lives. It is essential. Meaning our spiritual growth is limited by the amount of prayer we give and receive on behalf of others or what we engage in. And so my hope is this morning that you would walk away with not the, oh my gosh, I'm doing it all wrong. I just want to refocus our attention that actually I have the ability to affect myself and others around me by the thermostat of my prayers or the frequency of my prayers. Okay, we good? Let me give you an example of that. My mom had this rubber tree. Do you know what a rubber tree is? It's like a real tree. You may ever have one of those. Some of us had those, like they had those really waxy kind of leaves, right? Almost like they're made of rubber. Is that why they're called rubber trees? I don't know why they're called rubber trees. Anyway, so we're getting into the holiday season. I always think about this tree because it's really funny. And so where the rubber tree sat, that's where the Christmas tree would grow, right? And so she would move the rubber plant somewhere else, and it was heavy in this huge pot. And she hated that thing. I don't know why she kept it for so long. I think it's, if she could keep that plant, she could keep me around. You know what I mean? So it's like one of those things. And so finally, she decided, I'm tired of this plant. I'm just going to get rid of it. Because the plant never looked really healthy. It was always kind of struggling. It was, no matter how much she watered it or didn't water it, or how much she talked to it or she didn't talk to it, it never looked really healthy. Do you know what I mean? You get that, right? We have those plants. Some of us have those plants in our houses right now or in our yards. Um, it's my yard. Actually, that plant I'm talking about is my yard, but whatever. Um, and so she decided, okay, it's Christmas I'm moving the plant into the garage, and I'm going to kill it. Which is not a really good Christmas example for your young children, but whatever, I digress, right? So there you go. And so here's the funny thing. She's stuck in the garage. We're in Tennessee. It's cold in Tennessee. There's no natural light in the garage. And so this tree got stuck in a dark place that was cold, which was everything against what would give it life. And it actually got healthy. She couldn't kill it. It was the tree for the longest. She like brought it back into the house. She's like, oh, evidently I can have a better shot of killing it here than out in the garage, all separated and all alone and dark and cold. It actually thrived. So I bring that up to say that our prayer life cannot survive in a cold, dark place. Right? Our prayer life cannot survive in a cold, dark place, nor can our spiritual lives survive without prayer. So I don't know where your prayer life is, whether it's in the garage or in the house or it's been watered or it hasn't. My encouragement to you is that we would water and put, spend time and energy on it, okay? 
Okay, two lessons on We Center Prayers this morning. By the way, avenues of prayer that we have. Uh, every Tuesday, we have a small group that meets and prays for their prayer requests of this church. That's on Tuesday evening. And right after that, we have a, a, a corporate worship service where we pray together as a church. Also, on Sunday mornings, like we gather and pray in that room before the service for the day. And so any of those things that you would like to join on, I would say do that. So if you're like, I don't know what it looks like to water my prayer life right now, I would suggest one of those three things, small group, upper room, or even on Sunday morning. Or how about this? You just gather with friends that you already know in the the church, and you say, let's just set aside some time to pray. Okay? Two lessons on prayer. How to pray we-centered prayers. We're going to look at the most famous passage on prayer. It's in Matthew 6, starting in verse 5. Matthew 6, starting in verse 5. This is Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is teaching his disciples and the people around him. Jesus' most famous sermon, it goes several chapters. And it's interesting that he brings up the prayer. This is the Lord's Prayer. And like I said, starting in verse 5, you could follow along. And when you pray, this is Jesus talking, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received the reward, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard. For their many words do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Okay, so underline this, circle it, highlight it on your phone app, whatever you want to do. This is the pattern of prayer that we should follow. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we are also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Isn't that great? Simple And all the knowledge in this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus breaks out, what is that, nine verses on prayer, and it radically transforms how you and I should pray. And just starting with verse 5, do not be like the hypocrites who want to be seen. Prayer is not about being seen. It's not. It's not about being seen. That's the context, isn't it? Because here's the deal about prayer. I don't know about you, like when I was kind of growing in my faith, I wasn't so sure if I was confident enough to pray around other people. Anybody ever been there before, right? Prayer's not about being seen. So I would say if God has given you a word to pray, you should pray it because prayer is not whether it's good or bad or confident or unconfident. It's about praying what God has put on your heart. But also don't feel the pressure to say some kind of magnanimous word that changes everybody's day. Prayer is just a simple conversation about God. And here's the point Jesus is saying. We should not pray empty prayers. Meaning we should just pray. We shouldn't be so concerned about what it is that we're praying. We should just pray because we're responding to the prompting of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Right? We don't want to pray like uh, we are checking in with God on Zoom or FaceTime. It's to have the relationship. Remember, I said prayer is how we commune with God. It's how we express the relationship with God. It's this two-way conversation with God. It's us giving Him what He's put on our hearts and Him giving us back what's on His heart. And so I just want to say prayer equals investment. 
We invest in the things that are important to us. We invest in our relationships. We invest in our kids. We invest in our jobs. We invest in our friends. We invest in the church. Prayer is something that we should invest in. Don't be like the hypocrites who just throw empty words around. It's the last thing we should do as followers. It's just to do whatever we say, whatever we do. Verse 6, the word secret is cryptos, like a crypt or a grave. That's where we get that word, right? Where it says, where he says this, hold on. Pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret, right? He's saying, go into your room and shut the door. So what he's saying is Jesus says this now. There's nothing wrong with praying together in a group. A matter of fact, we should do those things. But our prayer life shouldn't just be with others. It should be also one-on-one. Pray in secret. Cryptos, like a crypt or a grave. You've heard of cryptocurrency, haven't you? Right? That's all the rage these days, depending on what the market's doing. Cryptocurrency, it's secret currency, although it's tracked, although it was was it created that way. Friends, prayer builds a currency, because that's what cryptocurrency is, right? It's a currency. It's value between two parties. Prayer builds value between you and God. Prayer builds value between you and God. It is something that we invest in. Something that we invest in. Verses 7 and 8. Prayer should not be empty babble, but worth something. And I love this picture Jesus is saying. And it's interesting that this is God the Son talking about God the Father. God knows what you need before you ask. Isn't that interesting? God knows what we need before we ever spit it out. He knew the minute before you spit it out. He knew the morning before you spit it out. He knew the day before you spit it out. He knew before the foundation of the world, before you walked on the planet. He knows what you need before you ever do. Now, if that doesn't enlarge your picture, like spend some time meditating on that, that somehow God knew that we all needed a World Series win this week before the Rangers were ever a ball club, before we ever stepped on the planet. He knew, and he knows. So imagine if we start praying to God for things like we already know, he knows what we need. Can I say that again? Imagine if we start praying to God for the things that we need like we already knows, he already knows what we need, instead of hoping that maybe our prayers, we can convince him that we need it. Imagine if we start praying that way. Imagine how that would transform our prayer lives. That we pray to God like, God, you already know what we need, but I'm going to say it anyway because I'm supposed to do this because I need to have this relationship with you instead of me trying to convince you that I need it. Right? Like we can convince God of anything that he wants to be convinced of anyway, which leads us to truth number two. Just a few truths this morning. Prayers are not for convincing God. That's not what they're for. They're not for convincing God, but God affirming what he wants to answer. See the difference? When I, need to, when I feel the pressure to convince God, I put myself over him as God. But when I say, God, I'm going to submit that, and I want you just to affirm what it is that you want to answer, then the relationship's ordered rightly, isn't it? I move from here to here. See that? Prayer is not, prayers are not for convincing God, but God affirming what he wants to answer. My kids, I don't, you know, for those that have kids in a room or, or, you know, or have had kids, have you ever noticed when they want something, they bug you, bug you, bug you, bug you until they get it? 
right? Anybody, major, anybody really good at that, getting what you want when you want it as a, as a kid? That's not what prayer should be like. We shouldn't bug God just to get what we want. We should seek God to see what it is that he would have for us in that regard. I love that. Jesus gives a template of prayer, and notice how it involves sincerity, reverence, and humility. Let me just go back to verses 9 and 10 real quick, because I talked about that, right? Prayer should involve sincerity, reverence, and humility. Those are we centered prayers. That's what we're talking about, verse 9. He says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's we-centered stuff, isn't it? That's we-centered stuff. Because Jesus being God is teaching us how to pray to God. And I don't know about you, this is how God the Son is going to pray to God the Father. If it's good for Him, it should be good for us, shouldn't it? How often do I not start my prayers with those statements? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because I want to push that out of the way and go right to what it is that we need. But if it's good for Jesus, it's probably good for us too. And we see Jesus pray all over the place in the scriptures where the Bible says he retreats and goes and spends some time alone. You see that quite a bit in the Gospels. I wonder if he prayed that way. We don't know. I'm willing to bet he did because if he's going to ask his disciples to do it, he's probably doing it too. What I want us to see is Jesus is teaching before me-centered prayers that we should be preaching or we should be asking and praying we-centered prayers. Right? Because notice the transition. Jesus taught us how to pray to God in his kingdom and then after we submit ourselves to him first, then we bring our, lie, our ask to. He said it there, right? Give us this day our daily bread. We see that in verse 11. And forgive us our debtors or debts as we have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. See the transition? It starts with we center prayers. God, what is it that you want? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then it transitioned to, well, actually, but we have needs too. Like, give us our bread. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. And that's the Christ life, isn't it? If I submit to God first in all things... Submit to God, and I know it's hard for us to hear, right? Because we like what we like and want what we want. But if we submit to God first in all things, our thoughts, our finances, our time, our gifts, our skills, our dreams, our lives, our prayers, then everything is in front of us. Because truth number three says this, following Jesus' model for prayer equals more prayers answered. Now, I'm not saying that from a prosperity piece, because I'm not saying that we always get the answers that we want. But following, I mean, if this is how Jesus is teaching the pray, does it stand to reason that if we pray more that way, that God will answer prayers in a way that maybe he doesn't if we just do it our own way? By being submissive to him first and his kingdom and his will? So that's how we pray we center prayers. We ask for God's things first before we ever ask for our own. My suggestion and my encouragement to us is that this week as we pray, as we think about praying, whether we're driving down the road or we're 
having some quiet time or, or we're meeting with a friend before we ever pray for them or the things that we need, why don't we just pray for God's kingdom first and just sprinkle that in a little bit every once in a while. Imagine how that will transform our prayer lives and our relationship with God. So that's number one, how to pray we center prayers. Number two, just simply, is how to pursue answers to we center prayers. Jesus often taught in parables, and there are 24 parables in the Gospel of Luke. 18 of those are only found in Luke. Like the Gospels repeat themselves in a lot of the parables, but in the Gospel of Luke, there are 18 that are only unique to Luke, and this is one. And so Jesus, is, again, is going to teach us not only how to pray, but also how to pursue those answers. Luke comes after Mark, I think, doesn't he? Luke chapter 18 is where we'll be. Anybody want to guess what this parable is about? Really? You, 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 cheer, you cheer that much about the rangers and you can't even say prayer? Okay, there you go. That's good. I'm glad you guys are, are alive and awake on this extra hour of sleep morning. There you go. Good morning. All right, verse 1. Don't miss this verse because we're going to skip over this verse to what he's doing and what he actually says. But listen to this, and he told them a parable to the, to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. Prayer also helps us not lose heart. It gives us in the, puts us in contact with what God wants and his will, but it also helps us not lose heart. He says this in verse 2. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither, which this is a funny, the Bible is really funny to me, and I can't imagine this judge would ever say this to himself, but there you go, he's talking to himself. Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? That seems pretty straightforward, doesn't it? There's a widow that keeps bothering a judge because she wants what she wants. And we know that, right? The squeaky wheel gets the grease. The baby cries till it gets what it wants. At some point, the Rangers had to win the World Series. I mean, come on. At some point. But again, this is not about getting what we want. It's about how we pray and not lose heart. That's what verse 1 says. Because let's be honest, it's easy to lose heart when we don't get the answers we think we should. Isn't it? We've been praying for this thing forever. Some of us have been praying for things for years. Some of us have been praying for things for months that seem like years. Some of us have been praying for things for weeks that seem like months. And I could go on and go on. It is easy to lose heart in the face of unanswered prayer, isn't it? And can I tell you the truth? God is not going to answer all of our prayers on this side of eternity. He will answer some. He might answer most, but he won't answer all. Because he'll answer them all when we flip to the other side. When we find complete fulfillment and perfection in his presence. But yet, Jesus is saying, 
Disciples, this is how you pray and not lose heart. Because it's easy to lose heart when we wait and wait and wait and wait and wait on whatever that thing is that we're waiting on. Isn't it? Isn't it easy to lose heart? Who of us have ever lost heart on the thing that we're waiting and waiting and waiting? So can I just say, like, we should acknowledge that prayer often happens on His timing, on God's timing, and not our own? It does. But Jesus says don't lose heart because the timing doesn't line up with your timing. Because God's timing doesn't line up with our timing. And thank goodness, my timing doesn't line up with God's timing. Because if it was up to me to align God to my time, the world would be really crazy and out of shape. More than it already is. But he does this not to frustrate us. It's to build a dependency on him. Because it's so easy to be dependent on our own. And our own gifts and our own skills and our own wants and our own desires. But God doesn't want us to pray prayers so that we can be dependent upon ourselves. He wants us to pray prayers so that we could be dependent upon him. Because I just want to say, I am no, I'm the best follower I could be is when I say no to me and yes to him. I'm the best follower I could be when I say your timing, not my timing. I'm the best follower I could be when I say, you know what? Your answer, not my answer but yet we should still not lose heart, Christian. So acknowledge that prayer happens on his timing and not our own. Now, the judge in the story, don't we usually think of judges as people who are halfway decent people? But evidently this judge is so not good, like he doesn't fear God and he doesn't respect man, like he's not not a very good judge. But here's the lesson on prayer about never giving up. Look at verse 3 back in Luke 18. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. I don't know who that adversary was, but they were probably not in a good place, right? And for a while he refused, the judge refused. But afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. He did not refer God. He did not respect man. He didn't respect her, but yet she kept coming. And so the answer is, is we should pray like the widow keeps coming to the judge by never giving up, by never giving in. And we keep bringing our petitions to the judge. But Jesus isn't teaching us to go find a judge that we could bug. He's actually using this story to teach us how we should pray to God, Right? And so my hope for you this morning is whatever you're praying, keep going. That thing that you walked in with, keep praying. That thing that you went to sleep with last night thinking about, keep praying. That need that you have, keep praying. That illness in your family, keep praying. That person far from the Lord who you don't know how they're going to get from where they are to where they need to be, keep praying. Keep praying. Don't lose heart. Because here's the hope in this story. Is that we don't have to give in or be tired or give up because we don't serve a judge who doesn't respect himself or care about man. Do we not? Because Jesus is taking the, contra- the, the judge in the story who doesn't love him and doesn't care about people and is contrasting it with God the Father who actually is the judge. Look at 6 and 8. Verses 6 through 8. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. 
Remember what he said? The widow keeps bothering me, and I'm tired of it, so I'm just going to give in. But verse 7 says, And will not, give, will not God give justice to his elect, meaning the follower, who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, he will find faith on earth. And so the question is, is we don't have an unrighteous judge but we have a judge that hears us day in night. So that thing that you don't think he's answering, Jesus act evidently is saying, will God not give justice to the elect? How long will he delay over them? And so what we think are no answers are actually just delays according to God's timing. That thing you're praying for, God wants to answer it according to his plan and purpose, and it's not a no. It's just a delay. And I tell you the truth, he will give justice to them speedily. Now, I get it. It doesn't feel like it's speed, speedily. It doesn't happen very fast. But he will at some point, according to his plan and purpose. So this is how we're supposed to pursue prayer. One, we're supposed to pray in the right order. God, your will, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And then I'm not going to give up coming to you and asking for the things that you've put on my heart. See that? So that thing you've given up on, don't give up on it. I'd say renew it today. That thing you don't think he's going to do, that you need him to do, don't give in, don't give up, keep moving, because here's truth number four. We can trust God for a just answer to our prayers. We can trust a just God for a just answer to our prayers. And that's what it is. Sometimes we just want to answer what God wants to give is the perfect answer. And it may not look like you think. I guarantee it probably doesn't look like you think. Because the last time I checked, none of us are perfect. But he is. And so as we turn our attention to our hearts, when we hear the truth of God's words, of how we pray we center prayers and how we pursue we center prayer answers, you're like, what does this all have to do with we in a me-centered world? And it's this. Because... We always have an opportunity to be changed when we hear God's word. We should be changed. Like, we should think about this and say, let us examine our hearts and say, God, help me see where prayer fits and does it fit currently in how I have it arranged in my life. And what does it look like for me to pray in the way that you would have me to pray and, 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 and push into what it is that you would want? And so the question I'm asking is, what does Luke 18 have to do with we sinner prayers? And it's this. Jesus taught his disciples to pray in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. For God, his glory, and will first, and our needs second. Right? We all agree there. That's pretty simple. We don't need to spend a lot of time, but we did. What if instead we take the next, took the next few weeks? Because we're moving into the holiday season. We're going to be in Advent soon. We're going to close. Believe it or not, 2023 is going to close the books, and we're going to open up into a new year. And so what if it looks like if we took the next few weeks to instead prioritize our needs and our desires and instead prioritize his needs and desires and his plans and purposes in the world? See what I just did? Let's not pray for this, just this. Let's pray for what he would want. Because if we do that, the parable in Luke 18 works the same with 
his prayers and hopes and dreams in the world, not just ours. So what if we bug the Lord like crazy in prayer together, one-on-one, small groups, corporately as a church, as a family? What if we start bugging the Lord and saying, you know what, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done in my life as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done in my family as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done in crossroads as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done in Arlington as it is in heaven. And instead, we don't pray what we need or we want. We just say, we're going to say no to that because he knows what they are anyway. But instead, I want to honor and glorify him to the best of my ability so that I could pray and bug him like crazy because he's a righteous judge. And instead, I'm going to say, God, your plan and purposes be done. Your will be done. I don't care about my needs right now. I spend so much time concerned about what I have and what I don't have and what I think I need and what I think I want. It's like being in chains, isn't it? You ever feel that way? You ever become so burdened for what it is that you need and want and what you think you need that it almost feels like you're in a prison cell? Well, I'm saying I think Jesus is offering us an opportunity to step out of the cell for a little while. And instead of praying for our needs, pray for what he wants. Because it says here, right back in Luke 18, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not give, give God, excuse me, I messed that up before too, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night. What does it look like for us to cry to him day and night for God's plan and purposes and his will to be done only? Will he not give justice to them speedily? Maybe God's waiting for us to say yes to him and no to us for a little while. Maybe he's saying, I know you love me, Tyler. I just want to double check to make sure that you love me more than what you love what I'm going to answer for you. I don't know. So what if we instead we took the next few weeks to prioritize God's glory and God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven instead of our own? I think that's what he's asking of us as a church, as individuals, as a city. That's what I think. And that, to me, seems really submissive and kind of a little crazy and really radical. But I think he calls us to do that. You agree? So the band's going to come back up. And so, again, let me just say it again. I'm asking you to intentionally pursue God and his kingdom and his purposes instead of what we need for the next few weeks. And just see what he does. Right? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in my family, in my friends, in my work, in our church, in the churches, in the city, in the city, in the state, in this nation, in this world. Because there's a lot of stuff going on. A lot of stuff going on, isn't there? More stuff than what we thought two, like two months ago. And then when you think about all the things that have happened in the last three or four years and all that, I think he wants his people to say, let's just bother him for a while for what he wants to do in this world. And I'm willing to bet because he's so good that he will answer what our needs are because he knows them anyway, whether we ask or not. Amen. Will you stand and pray with me? So in this song, as we respond... 
I just want you to stand quietly as they play. And I just want you to ask a simple question. God, what do you want? That's it. And if he doesn't answer right away or he doesn't answer today, you know what you should start tomorrow with? God, what do you want? So, Lord, I pray. This is, I think, just something that's radical because we get so consumed with what it is that we need or want or what, better yet, what we think should happen. But yet we know that you have a plan and a purpose, not just for your people, but for the planet. And it goes far beyond just our limited vision. And so, God, I ask for forgiveness where I have prioritized my needs over yours. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us an opportunity to step away from that and to step toward you. So just in the silence, Lord, before we start singing and responding, give us a few seconds just to say, what is it that you want? God, what do you want? What does your kingdom coming and your will being done on earth as it is in heaven? What do you want? It's in Jesus' name. Amen.